So if you've ever kind of woken up in the middle of a dream and been unable to move, the reason for that is... I'm Evelyn. I'm Isabel. I'm Gargi. And I'm Carlin. And you're listening to State of the Pod, where science meets society. Have you ever wondered what happens when you sleep and how dreams come to be? Sleep consumes one-third of the average person's life, yet most people know little about the inner workings of the sleep cycle and the science behind dreams. We're here to teach you more. First, we need a little background on the science behind sleep. Let's get into it. Sleep is divided into two types, non-REM and REM. When your eyes are closed and you don't receive any visual input, your brain waves settle into a steady pattern. You move through the three stages of non-REM sleep. In the first stage, which lasts five to 10 minutes, it's easy to wake up. The second stage, which lasts 10 to 25 minutes, consists of a slower heart rate and a cooler body temperature as your body prepares for deep sleep. During the third or deep sleep stage, your body repairs and regrows tissue, strengthens your immune system, and builds bone and muscle. As you age, you spend less time in this stage. Next is the REM or rapid eye movement stage. We're here on Zoom with Dr. Daniel Barone, Associate Medical Director and Associate Professor of Clinical Neurology at Weill Cornell Center for Sleep Medicine. Dr. Barone is the author of Let's Talk About Sleep. Dr. Barone, thanks so much for being here today. Glad to be here. In your own words, can you define REM sleep for us? Sure, so REM sleep, that's rapid eye movement sleep, that is a stage of sleep that our brain normally goes into every 90 minutes or so, okay? And that happens normally uh, throughout the night, usually about four to five times we have periods of REM. The term sleep cycle, what that implies is that we have non-REM sleep, then that then that cycle ends with a period of REM, and then another cycle begins, okay? So I hear that term misused all the time, what a sleep cycle is. It's non-REM, then a period of REM, and then we begin again. So every 90 minutes or so, you may have heard people say we have 90 minute sleep cycles. What that means is that every 90 minutes we're going into a period of REM. As the night goes along, the periods of REM get longer and longer. So in theory, somebody wakes up out of a dream because that's where most of their REM sleep is, okay, in a norm, normal situation. What happens during REM sleep, REM sleep is, as part of our dreams, the body does not want us to act out those dreams. So normally what happens is during REM sleep, while we're dreaming, our body is paralyzed, okay? So if you've ever kind of woken up in the middle of a dream and been unable to move, the reason for that is because your brain and your body are kind of paralyzed and you're kind of you know, waking up too, too, too quickly. It is shown that the lack of REM causes sleep problems. REM sleep has decreased activities in rational parts of the brain, so it's more conducive for lucid, nonsensical dreaming. REM sleep helps read emotions and process external stimuli. The REM calibration hypothesis suggests that norepinephrine levels that build up during the day get reset during the REM stage of the sleep cycle. Sleep has important effects on your mental and physical health. Scientists used an fMRI to measure the brain activity of participants after a good night of sleep, and activity was observed in the front, back, and both sides of the brain. 
it was found that there were more intense activation levels in those who slept well compared to participants who did not have a good night's sleep. Another study found that there are differences in emotionality among good sleepers and poor sleepers. The study found that good sleepers have more positive emotions while awake compared to while they were sleeping, whereas it was found that poor sleepers have more comparable amounts of negative emotions while asleep and awake. Speaking of emotions and sleep, I think it's also essential to focus on dreams. I know when I get a bad night of sleep, it often has to do with some scary or stressful dream that kept me up all night, which makes me wonder why they even happen at all. Unfortunately, the mechanism and function of dreams are still unknown. Can you walk us through some theories? Absolutely. First, we have the threat simulation theory, which asserts that dreams with scary aspects are a way to prepare you to respond to dangerous situations more efficiently while awake. So, in a way, your dreams are training you to improve your chances of survival in the real world? Exactly. Next, we have Freud's psychoanalytic theory, which asserts that the meaning of the dream can't be deciphered from its manifest content or what you remember having dreamed, but instead in the latent dream thoughts, which are the thoughts that are modified in order to appear in your dream. Essentially, this is saying that dreams have a deeper meaning that need to be deciphered. And there's also memory consolidation, which is the idea that dreams occur as we replay recent experiences in order to consolidate memory, which helps us both to process the past and to prepare for the future. This would help explain why our dreams are often strange combinations of disjointed fragments of experiences. Plus, there's strong data to support this theory. Get this, apparently 65% of dream elements are related to waking life experiences. Another cool fact, Data has shown that the optimal amount of time that must pass between experiencing an event and later dreaming about it is about one week. Okay, so that's all very interesting, but I'm also curious about how dreams change as we age. I mean, I remember a few dreams I had when I was little, and they were all very different from those that I have now. I was actually listening to an episode of a podcast recorded with a psychologist, Dr. Isaac Tades, who specializes in dreams, and he discussed about how dreams progress with age and social phases. I had never really thought about it in this way, but he discussed the theory of nightmares being a kind of danger simulator, like Evelyn was just talking about, to prepare us evolutionarily and the trajectory of dreams as we age and develop. When kids are really young, their dreams start out with monsters, addressing the basic concept of fight or flight. Then when they're a little older, the idea of loss of a caregiver and how this can impact survival brings about dreams of separation from parents. And then at the next stage of development, they start to have nightmares about school and fitting in, which shows a natural desire for social acceptance. It's so funny how the social codes that we abide by during the day also exist in our sleep. Right, when I started to think about it, it actually made a lot of sense. The amygdala, which is located just above the hippocampus in the brain, hosts emotions of fear, anger, and sadness, which are kept in check by the prefrontal cortex. But the prefrontal cortex is shut down at night, so these emotions are not suppressed. Something interesting to note is the variation of nightmare frequency with different people. 5% of the population experience nightmares once a week, yet 30 to 55% of the population experience nightmares only once a month. And a high rate of nightmares can be rooted in PTSD or childhood trauma during the infantile amnesia period of ages 0 to 3. Do you have any research about lucid dreaming? Lucid dreaming is also a really interesting concept. Lucid dreaming is the ability to recognize being in a dream without waking up from the dream. And it also works alongside control dreaming, which is where the person is actually able to consciously interact with and control the dream. Studies have shown that lucid dreaming can be taught, and it can also help to alleviate depression. This positive connection between lucid dreaming and depression is so interesting. 
especially because we usually hear about a negative relationship between health issues and sleep, a topic that Dr. Barone specializes in. Let's go back to our interview with Dr. Barone. Dr. Barone, can you explain dream enactment behavior? Sure. So what can happen though in some people, okay, especially if there's uh, looming neurodegenerative conditions like, like Parkinson's disease on the road, what can happen is some people, that, that process of being paralyzed during REM sleep does no longer happen. And what, what occurs is they start to act out their dreams, right? So the kind of classic example is somebody who's, let's say an older guy dreaming about boxing or fighting somebody off, they'll actually do that in their sleep. Okay, and they'll end up hitting their bed partner or falling out of bed, okay? And like I said, this is associated with neurodegenerative illness like Parkinson's disease. Sometimes you can see it in younger people if there's like narcolepsy, the condition known as narcolepsy where people are excessively sleepy or if uh, somebody has started an antidepressant that could sometimes bring it on. So it, it, it has different meanings in different patients. Can you talk about how outside forces and diseases help impact dream enactment behavior? Right, that's a great question. So with REM behavior disorder specifically, there's a kind of a bi-directional relationship. So if somebody has REM behavior disorder, right, let's say, you know, this is classically a condition where older men have it, right? So let's say the average, uh, let's, let's say a 65 year old man comes in to see me and they just started acting out their dreams. In that case, that person has a high risk of developing Parkinson's disease within 10 years or so, okay? But if somebody does have Parkinson's disease already, there's a very there's a very high likelihood that they will have dream enactment behavior as part of that condition. So it kind of goes both ways. Given all the different theories we discussed and all the uncertainty around dreams, I'm wondering where do we go from here? Dr. Barone, what research are you currently conducting and what do you plan to research in the near future? I am one of the, the people who does RBD research. RBD is REM sleep behavior disorder, which allows a person to act out their dreams and is sometimes called dream enactment behavior. Myself, my colleagues, you know, there are many different centers across the U.S. that are, and across the world actually, that are studying this condition. Uh, we're, we're all trying to better understand it. Though the whole idea is to determine who with RBD are the people that we're really concerned about. And are there other markers that we can say, okay, look, if you have RBD plus uh, depression, you're at higher risk. If you have RBD, but you get lightheaded and standing up, those people are at higher risk for, for Parkinson's disease. That's what we're trying to really tease apart now. And what's gonna happen soon, okay, and I don't know exactly when, is probably there's going to start being trials um, for for either medications or over-the-counter or natural substances to, to give to RBD patients to say, look, take this now, and ideally this will stave off a Parkinson's type of condition down the road. That's really what, you know, golden nugget that we're all sh shooting for. Before we get into improving your sleep, let's get into some global sleep habits and what we can learn from them. As we've learned, our sleep affects many areas of our life, our health, our socialization, and more. We also impact our sleep through our habits. To discuss this, we're going to play a little game. It is similar to two truths and a lie. I will present sleeping habits from around the globe, and you will have to guess which one is not scientifically supported. Is everyone ready? Yes! Here are the first three global sleep habits and their claimed impacts. One, in Sweden, elk is eaten before bed to improve sleep quality. The Japanese habit of sleeping on a shikibutan, a futon-like mattress that is laid out on the floor, can improve lower back pain. 
in South and Central America, sleeping in a hammock is expected to ease falling asleep. Okay, you guys, which one do you think isn't scientifically supported? One. I'm going to go with three. I also am going to have to go with one. So, it's actually two. No points for that round. But a shikibutan could improve sleep, but it is not yet scientifically supported because there has not been enough research done. In basic intuition, a firm mattress would support someone with lower back pain, but there are many other variables, impacts, and personal needs that should be researched in order to recommend this. Here are my second set of sleep habits and their goals. The US habit of having animals sleep in close proximity to your bed negatively impacts sleep quality and increases disturbances. Two, in traditional Chinese medicine, the consumption of jujube fruit promotes relaxation and acts as an herbal sleep aid. The Finnish practice of using saunas in the evening can provide not only sleep benefits, but improve well-being and provide mental support. What are your thoughts? I'm thinking one. I'm going three again. I'm thinking two. So actually, Carlin is correct. Yes. There is no data to support or contradict the idea that sleeping with your pets improves or detracts from your quality of sleep. Some people say that it helps. Other people say it provides additional disturbances. A Mayo Clinic survey that we looked at says that it is actually inconclusive whether it improves your sleep to sleep with animals. So here are my last set of sleep facts. One, bed sharing, which is practiced around the globe, can improve your quality of sleep. Two, ashwagandha, an herb used in India's Ayurvedic medicine, can ease falling asleep. And three, the Scandinavian practice of letting babies sleep outside in bassinet strollers helps improve sleep quality and health. What do you guys think? I'm thinking two. I think one. I'm gonna have to go with Gargi on this one. I'm saying two. It's actually three. So while culturally practiced, not enough research has been done to approve or disapprove the practice of letting your kids sleep outside in their bassinets when they're babies. But as long as they are in appropriate clothing and weather conditions, it should at least be safe. So what did you guys think? Were many of those unexpected? Definitely. <laughs> well, Carlin is the confirmed winner, so congratulations. Thank you, thank you. Actually, Isabel, speaking of sleep habits, have you ever heard of sleep segmentation? Sleep segmentation is one of the habits that I find extremely intriguing. Sleep segmentation goes by several names, bimodal sleep, multi-phase sleep, but they all mean the same thing. It means sleeping in multiple phases instead of just once a day. Not only is it practiced around the globe into the 20th century, it's very different from how Americans were taught to sleep today. Would siesta cultures be considered bimodal? Yes, this is actually one form of sleep segmentation. It helps extend your day to avoid the midday heat and also allow for additional socialization into the night. Research shows that there are things that we can do to improve sleep hygiene, which consists of healthy sleep habits that can improve your ability to fall and stay asleep. You see people going to bed and they're very stressed out, right? Or they have a lot of stress and, and things in their life, okay? Especially since the pandemic, right? So one of the key things I always recommend, regardless of whether it's PTSD or anything, is relaxation techniques can be very, very helpful. So I'm a big believer in things like meditation, right? Like mindfulness meditation. I tell all my patients they should start doing that. If you get into the paradigm of meditating before bed, even if it's just a minute or two, and then try to get some exercise in the morning, right? That has been shown with the medical literature to be very, very helpful to help people sleep. Okay, so, you know, anything in the realm of you know, like Headspace, the Calm app, those are great. You can just go to YouTube and type in, you know, how do I meditate? You'll come up with 
bunch of videos. I would say that's the key thing, right? And on top of that, instead of watching TV or being on your iPhone or iPad or you know your screen time, instead of doing that before bed, switch over to relaxation techniques instead. Avoiding caffeine, alcohol, and nicotine, exercising early in the day, avoiding certain foods late at night, creating a good sleep environment, and using natural light to set your body clock. Only going to sleep when tired and not watching the clock are examples of habits that we can employ to improve our daily sleep. Sleep experts also say that if you're going to nap, to keep it short and before 5 p.m. My suggestion is, you know, you try the simple things, you know, improving your sleep habits, you know, trying to relax, relax before bed, uh, you know, avoiding alcohol, caffeine, nicotine, especially close to bedtime. If you do all those things and you're still having trouble, I would definitely talk to my doctor. And if you snore or potentially gasp for breath throughout the night or make noises or, you know, grind your teeth or anything like that, I would say, yeah, you want to get that checked out. Sleep is super important as it not only keeps you going throughout the day, but it also helps you make fewer mistakes, makes you less likely to catch a cold, cleans out toxins that accumulate in your brain, and prevents weight gain. Dr. Barone, is there anything else that you have not yet touched on that you wish to share with us? I would say just sleep health in general should really be the, the goal that we're all going for. You know, you guys are in college, and I remember when I was in college and medical school, I was just pulling all-nighters all the time. I was just, you know, stressed out of my mind. And it's not really a good way to be, you know? And, and I would say, you know, use this time now to focus on you know, taking care of yourself, taking care of your body, taking care of your brain. If anyone's interested in learning more about sleep and sleep health, my book, it's called Let's Talk About Sleep. It's on Amazon, okay? And I have a YouTube channel, same name, Let's Talk About Sleep. Uh, anyone can go on there and ask questions and I, I uh, answer them usually uh, once a month. It's been a dream working with Dr. Daniel Barone. We hope that learning more about sleep helps our listeners catch more Z's tonight. And helps you put bad sleep habits to bed. Don't sleep on these sleep hygiene tips. All right, guys, give it a rest with the puns. We're Gargi, Carlin, Isabel, and Evelyn. And, and this, this has been State of the, the Pod, where science meets society. society.